Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. Everything we do comes out of something deep within. It rules our thoughts, our actions, and every feeling. What if we could be more aware of why we are the way we are? What if we could understand why we respond the way we do? What if we could change all of that? Join us for this week's message in our series on The Heart. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Hey, a couple of things before we get into the message. First of all, you've already heard a couple of people talk about how we just wrapped up our week of prayer and fasting. And you can see these cards all across the front here uh, that people filled out last Sunday. And we have been praying with you all week, many, many times uh, every morning, sometimes at night. We've had people come in during the day and just pray with you. And I want you to know people are standing with you for what you need to see God do. But this week has felt a little different, if I could be honest. How many of you feel like you got the enemy's attention more than God's? Anybody? Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about? This is the first week of prayer and fasting. I spent most of it on the couch. I had 102 fever, didn't leave my house for a couple of days. And, and I might cough a little bit during the message because this is my first day trying to contribute to society once again. So you guys just forgive all the, the coughing and whatever else comes along. And it's a good thing you're the only one in the front row. Everybody else, you know, they get safe distance back there. So, but hey, look, here's the thing. Sometimes we feel like we, God's just, man, he's just answered our prayers. We've had weeks of prayer and fasting where people came in on Monday, said, you wouldn't believe what God's done. And on Tuesday, you wouldn't believe what God's done. And on Wednesday, you wouldn't believe what God's done. And by the time we get to Sunday, we need people to hold the roof down as we worship. It's just so incredible. And then we've got other times where it feels like we, we didn't really reap a whole lot. We sowed a whole lot. You know, there are those days where you're putting seeds in the ground and waiting. And the whole point of these weeks of prayer and fasting is to make sure we remember we do not worship an idol. We do not worship an ideology. We worship a living God. And the idea is to once again renew our faith that we have a God who does big things. And big things don't always happen in small amounts of time. So I just want to give you an encouragement and and just hopefully give you faith as you go beyond this week. Uh, if, If what you put on these cards you haven't seen happen yet, don't give up hope. Maybe what you were doing was going through a a lot of planting and a lot of watering and God is still uh, going to move later on. You know, we feel like in my family, we just got more resistance than answers than anything. We just felt like the enemy was just like, "Ah." my daughter was sick for about five days with 101. I was sick for about three days with 102. We took the two couches. The rest of the family had to try to live upstairs. And my wife was so sick of taking care of of the boys and, and sick people and everything. She got to this one point in the week where she was like, I am just going to pick up the boys from school and I'm going to come home and I am done. I'm not doing anything else. And about that time, the phone rings. It's the school. Uh, One of your children just fell and busted his head and he needs stitches. And that's the kind of week we've had. So, hey, if you've had one of those weeks, let me assure you, if you've got the enemy's attention, you do have God's attention and he is going to do great things. So just hold on and uh, wait and see what comes next. Second thing is, as you heard, Wednesday night, and you got one of these on the way in the door, Life Group Launch Party. Um, If you are new to Grace Life, there's something very important to us. And uh, for the rest of you, we've said this a lot. Someday we're going to put all this in writing somewhere so that it becomes kind of famous around here. But Sundays are not church. Sundays are something the church does. Y'all understand the difference? Sundays are not church. Sundays are something the church does. We are the church, and we're supposed to live life together together. 
and share our victories and share our struggles and, and pray for one another and talk about what God's doing. And that's what we do in life groups. So I want to encourage you Wednesday night, come out and get your life group. And here's, here's what's crazy. You think I'm talking to the new people right now, don't you? And I'm not. Because see, every time we do one of these, I meet more people who are new to Grace Life than any other thing we do. And I always meet people who actually came this Sunday for the first time. They're like, I just came to Grace Life last Sunday, and I want to find a life group. You know who doesn't come? People who have known Jesus for a long time. Because you're good, and you got it figured out, and you got your Bible, and you don't need people, right? Yeah, I'm just going to leave that and let y'all just feel all convicted on your own there. We're on part four of a series, the final part. It's a series on the heart we've been doing. And just to make sure we're on the same page once again, when we look in the Bible and we find the word heart, it's not talking about the blood pumping organ. And it's not talking about how we feel about things most of the time. Feelings is a part of it. But it's a bigger word and encompasses much more. And the best word that you can replace it with most of the time is the word soul. Because our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions more than just feelings. And so when it, the Bible talks about our heart, it's talking about what drives us. And that is every thought we have, every desire we have, and every feeling we have. It all kind of comes together. So if you're new to Grace Life or a guest here today, we don't normally do this, but we did it for this series. We have a theme verse. And the reason for it is, if you forget everything we've said for four weeks, if you walk away after today and you can't remember anything but this one verse, and you can remember this one verse and actually put it into your life, this will have been worth it. And so this, this series, we've been doing this, look at this on the screen here, let's say it together, we've been saying it every week, so hopefully it'll stick in your head and you'll love me because you've got it stuck in your head and it'll all be my fault. Let's say it together. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Most of us have it by now, take that away, I bet we can still do it, here we go. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it everything every attitude every response every word everything you do comes out of it the younger you are the more you need to hear this next thing young people i remember when i was super young i like to think i'm not that old i'm still young but the younger i was like when i was a teenager so teenagers listen you think the secret to life is great circumstances man if things just go my way if i can just win the lottery if just she or he will marry me oh man it's just going to be great if i can just get into that college if i can just make the team it's all about things just going right the luck of the draw circumstances whatever and i'm going to tell you what i've learned now is that is not the answer at all matter of fact i'm going to promise you this nothing will determine the course of your life as much as the condition of your heart Nothing will determine the course of your life as much as the condition of your heart. Circumstances have nothing on where your heart is because your heart can change everything. That's why this says above all else. Above all else, guard your heart. And if it is that important and if it is going to direct your life that much, then you need to never forget the enemy wants it, right? The enemy wants it. That's why it's so valuable. So we started off the series talking about a clean heart. That's a good goal, isn't it? We want to have a clean heart. And in part one, we agreed together as Grace Life, we are going to stand on God's promise. His promise is that if we put our hearts in front of his word, then his word will discern what's going on in our hearts and help shape it. And we're going to do that every day with an invitation. Every day we're going to start with a scripture that says, create in me a clean heart. And then we're just going to begin to read his word every day this year, as many days as we can, and wait and see where your heart is a year from now. And then in parts two and three, we talked about a hard heart because the Bible talks about a hard heart over and over and over and has warnings about having a hard heart over and over and over. So what is a hard heart? <clears throat> it comes from two things mainly. 
In part two, we talked about one of them, and it's a wounded heart that isn't healed. If you've got a wounded heart that isn't healed, which most of us do, most of us have a wounded heart that's in process in some way, go back and catch part two. And in part three, we talked about the other thing that will give us a hard heart, and that is when pride begins to sneak in and take over. So today we're going to close out the series with probably the other most famous verse. For some of us, it's the most famous verse in the entire Bible on the heart. It talks about the condition of the heart, and it gives us a warning as well. Some of you maybe know where I'm going already. It's a, it's a famous verse out of Jeremiah chapter 17, and it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick one version even goes as far as to use the english word says the heart is deceitful above all things and is incurable it's incurable who can understand it now think about that if that's really the way it is it makes you think we should just paraphrase that above all else don't trust your heart right you guys know what i'm talking about so throughout the series i've been sharing little glimpses of what my wife and i went through early in our marriage and how difficult marriage was I've told you when we've done marriage series and relationship series, we've given you long parts of the story, but during this series, I've just given you little parts. Because what I've really wanted you to understand is the number one thing that changed our marriage was not circumstances and nothing outside of us, but when God would work on our hearts. And so each week, I've told you little snippets of that. So like when we were talking about a wounded heart, we talked about how we both saw everything through our wounds. And, and somebody would say something or do something, and the other one would go, you did that just to hurt me. You did that just to make me angry. You know, come on, nobody in here has ever said those kind of things, right? Yeah, but here's what happens. When our hearts are not in a good place, we become the accuser of another person. And here's the sad part about a marriage. There's only two of you. There's no jury. So you're the accuser and the judge, and the other person has no hope. Come on, married people, y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and so what really began to change our marriage was when we realized that what we thought about the other person what we felt about the other person, and what we wanted to do to get out of this, we couldn't trust. We couldn't trust our hearts. And that's what I want you to know here today. You can't trust your hearts when you're in the middle of a battle. And for those of you that are married and struggling, you can go to lunch now. That's all you needed to know right there. Don't trust your heart when you're in the middle of the battle. But some of you actually like the person you're married to. God bless you. That's great. Just kidding, my wife and I love each other now. There was just a time. Some of you are still waiting on that time to come. We'll, just let, we'll keep praying for you. So maybe your battle is not marriage at all. Maybe your battle that you're in the middle of and you can't trust your heart is the one that says you're about to lose your faith in God because you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and it just seems like he's never going to show up. Maybe the battle that you're in the middle of is losing hope that somebody is ever going to come to know Jesus because you've waited and you've waited and you've waited. Maybe your battle is just giving up trying to change because you've tried to change and you've tried to change and you've tried to change and nothing ever changes, which actually makes perfect sense with the idea that our heart is sick and needs some help. How many of you are just kind of sick? Anybody sick of your heart and what's in there? You're sick of what you think and what you want and what you feel and how it keeps taking you away from the person you want to be and the person you know that God has for you. It just keeps what you want, what you think, what you feel. It just keeps taking you one step further and further and further from the goal. And you're sick of it. You know what God says for a sick heart? An incurable heart? It's not to cure it. It's to flat out replace it. This is not our main passage, but I want to set up our main passage with this. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart. 
See, God's got an answer for our deceitful above all things, incurable, desperately sick hearts, the ones that keep misleading us, the ones that we can't trust, the ones that they put all of this stuff into us. Nope, I will give you a new one. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. What he means by that is I'll take away that hard heart that's been wounded. I'll take away that hard heart that's been filled with pride. I'll take away the hard heart that's all focused on you. No, we're going to take away the hardness, and we'll give you a soft one, something that I can work on, something that I can work in. And if that's all there is to it, then we're ready for lunch. Got a new heart, got Jesus, go to church on occasion, it's all good. But that's not all there is to it. You see, it's remarkable how similar the idea of God giving us a new heart is to actually a physical heart transplant. I want you to think about it this way. I mean, it's an obvious comparison, isn't it? Don't think about it this way. You love bacon double cheeseburgers with extra mayonnaise. Anybody knows? Come on, anybody with me on this one? Bacon double cheeseburger. Now, I just have to tell you, at least I'm logical. Because I get bacon double cheeseburgers with extra mayonnaise with fries and a Dr. Pepper. And those of you that order your bacon double cheeseburger with mayonnaise and a fruit cup and a Diet Coke, <laughs> you too will die. <laughs> and I will tell you in heaven how illogical you were. Okay, but at some point, here's what happens. You go see the cardiologist and he says, hate to tell you, but those bacon double cheeseburgers with extra mayonnaise and the fries, uh, it hasn't been good for you. And your heart's done. And at some point, very, very soon, your life is over if we don't change your heart. So here's the thing we can do. We can actually take out that heart, and we can put in a new heart. It's been done before for many other patients, and actually get a whole new quality of life. You know how you really kind of struggled to make it into my office today? You were panting a little bit. You had to stop halfway between your car and here. Good news with a new heart, you're going to be able to run a marathon eventually. It'll take a little while to work up to, but your life is going to be completely different. You guys see where this is going? It's amazing how close the analogy is. Everything will be different. And this is what God does for us spiritually. When we become a believer in Jesus, everything changes. And he reaches down out of heaven with a spiritual hand and he takes out that dead heart that wanted nothing to do with Jesus. You know how people used to invite you to church and you're like, shut up, I don't want to go to your church. Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus over lunch? No, I ain't even going to lunch if that's what you're going to talk about. I don't want to hear about this. Don't give me a Bible. Don't invite me to church. I don't want to hear it. And your mom would say, hey, honey, I'm praying for you. That's fine, just stop it. You know, I'm fine, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And then someday you find yourself sitting in church. What changed? Why are you suddenly willing to listen about Jesus? It's because God took out the old heart that was made of stone and it was dead and it was done. It was like dried up leather and nothing could get in. And he put in a new heart and you're like, oh, hey, I think I could listen to this Jesus thing just a little bit more. And what he's done is he's made that transplant. But here's the thing. Our spiritual hearts need exactly what a, a natural heart would need if we did a transplant. Because, see, too many of us think, oh, good, I've got a new heart, I've got Jesus, I'm good to go. But there's actually more to it. Because what the doctor's going to tell you is, okay, so we're going to do this surgery, you're going to get a whole new quality of life, but let me give you the warning. You see, when we put this new heart in you, it's foreign DNA. And everything in you is going to try to kill it. Because it doesn't want this new thing. And there's going to be a battle for DNA. There's going to be a takeover battle. And here's the problem. The two cannot coexist equally. It won't work that way. No, nope. matter of fact, one of them will and one of them must rule the other. Your new heart either must rule the body or the body will kill the new heart. 
And the only way that this is going to work is with you taking daily meds. They're going to give you a pile of meds. You're going to take these things for the rest of your life every single day. And if you don't do that, then at some point the old DNA is going to win and the new heart is dead. You guys following this analogy? So our main passage today is to look at the daily meds that God is telling us to take. So our spiritual heart rules our old body instead of having our old body kill our new heart. It's in Colossians 3. You can turn with me there if you'd like. If not, it's going to be right on on the board behind me. The first thing that he says is that we need to, to set our minds above. We need to change what our focus is. It says, if you then have been raised with Christ, and I'm just going to stop and do a time out there. If you're not in that place yet, I mean, we've heard it mentioned multiple times a day in, in communion. And when Kent first spoke, he said, look, some of us are in this place. Some of us are not. Some of us can say, yes, Jesus is my king. Yes, God has done a heart transplant in me. Yes, I would say I am raised with Christ. I would say that there was a time in my life when I wanted everything my way, but now I, I serve God. Jesus is my Lord, right? Okay. And, and the Bible right now says, look, if that's you, if you've been raised with Christ, you've got to pay attention to what I say. Now, there's bad news for those of you that can say no, but here's the good news. You don't have to listen to me. You're off the hook for the rest of this, but I'll get back to you in the end. But if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The first thing he says is set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died. Stop thinking about your old life. I mean, can you imagine a dead person thinking about what they're going to do at work tomorrow. I mean, you did when you were alive, but the minute you're dead, you're like, yep, not going to work. Guess I don't need to think about that. It's amazing how, how much your schedule changes. When I was out sick this week with 102 for three days laying on my couch, I wasn't worried about the appointment I missed. Didn't even think about it. And, and, and I was still alive. Imagine more if you're dead. So here's the thing. You're, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. Why are you thinking about those kinds of things? But we do, don't we? I mean, we just drive down the road all the time, and, and we're thinking, man, what, I, I wish I had a new truck to be driving in. That'd be nice. I want it. It's going to be black. It's going to have black wheels and black tinted windows. Come on, guys. Anybody with me? In there? Yeah. And, and we're, that's what we're thinking about. And, and we're thinking about something all the time. You ever had somebody say, think of nothing? How foolish is that? Does that work? Anybody able to think of nothing? My wife will ask me all the time. We're driving down the road. What you thinking about? Nothing. I lied. We all lie because we're all thinking about things. But ladies, I'm going to help you out. Most of the time, you don't want to know what we're thinking. They're really incoherent thoughts. Like, I wonder if you could put french fries on the burger. What would that taste like? I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that's going through our head as we're driving the minivan. The kids are in the back and they're screaming and iPads are flying and Cheetos are flying. And you're like, what would it be like to be far away? From and your wife's like, what are you thinking, honey? Oh, nothing. I'm, I'm glad I'm here, honey. You know, that kind of thing. So, but we're all always thinking something. That's the important thing. And, and he says, set your minds on what's above, not on what's in front of you. Because we're always thinking earthly thoughts. I'd like to have a newer truck. Oh, I don't like my kitchen. I'd like to, to renovate my kitchen. Oh, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I have a miserable boss. I don't want to go to work tomorrow because Susie's at work. And I wish Susie were not there because she's the most annoying person that works in our office. And we're just always thinking about this stuff. Oh, I hope I get up early enough so that I can avoid the traffic because, you know, such and such road is always crowded. And, uh, and the stoplights, are and every thought we have, which we're always filled with thoughts, but they're all just focused on earth. And do we ever have our thoughts above? I mean, think about this. Tomorrow we wake up and instead of thinking, I hope Susie's sick and absent because she's so annoying, we think, 
God, what would you like me to say to Susie? What can I do to help her? God, matter of fact, I'm going into work today and there is an office full of people I try to avoid, don't want to talk to because I don't like them. But you know what? Every single one of them is a person that needs you. What would you do in this office today? You stop right as you're stepping up. You're about to grab the door handle and before you do, you stop and say, God, what would you do in this place today? Next time you get your paycheck, instead of going, oh, look at that. I can save half of this for my new truck that's going to be black with black tires and black windows. You go, God, I've got a budget, but... Would you have me do something I haven't thought of before? Would, would you have me just take the part I was going to give to my truck and do something else with it? Do we even ask the questions? Is our mind above or is our mind on everything that is right in front of our face? You ever heard the phrase, life is 90% perspective? No. Life is 90% your perspective. So imagine if we can change our perspective to what's above instead of what's right in front of us, instead of what's on earth. Instead of thinking about our kitchen or our car or our problems or, or our schedule or our calendars, and we start thinking about, God, what are you doing? What are you doing today? What are you doing with that person? What are you doing with this money? What are you wanting from me? It would completely change everything and apparently might change about 90% of it. And the second thing he tells us to do is to kill our earthly nature. Kill, that's a strong word, by the way. When you kill something, you don't tolerate it. You don't manage it. You don't medicate it. You don't babysit it. You annihilate it. You get rid of it. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. If your minds are on things above, kill everything that's still from here. See if you can get rid of it. And in case you were wondering, he's not going to leave it up to you and me to decide what that is. He gives us a list. Y'all ready for this? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, you see, he's making sure we understand this. God defines what is moral. Humanity defines what is possible. We, we come up with all kinds of ideas and we, we think things like God will forgive me and, and God, we're going to get married anyway. Or, you know, God, it'll be this, that and whatever. And God says, no, no, no. What you need to understand is, is when you lived in the old way and you had the old heart, you made up the rules. But with a new heart, you need to understand there's a right and there's a wrong. And it's very easy to kill a new heart. It doesn't take much at all. The wrong meds are going to kill it. There's right and there's wrong. And you need the right meds. Covetousness, which is just greedy, by the way, if that's a long word, just greedy, which is idolatry. Why is greediness idolatry? Because greed says, I want it. I want more, more. I need more. That's not enough. And that basically says I'm in the middle. I'm the center. I'm on the throne. Please give me, please give me more. It's what we do from the first moment. I want more. And the minute your mama feeds you, you go, I want more. There's never enough. It's never enough. We need a new truck. And then next, next six months down the road, our neighbor has a newer truck. So we need a newer new truck. And then we get a new TV. And then we go in the store the next week and figure out they have them 10 inches bigger. So we need a bigger TV. We always need more, 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 more. Right? Come on. Somebody with me? You can't just have a cheeseburger with bacon and mayonnaise. It's a double bacon cheeseburger with mayonnaise. More. I want more. That's where the idolatry is because it starts with the I want. And he says, no. And he, he points out, by the way, in these, you two once walked. Because when you were living in them, that's, that's who you were before the heart transplant. But now you must put them all away. And he keeps going with the list. Some of you would say, oh, that's okay. Because I, I don't think I'm the greediest person. And, and I'm actually, I've been moral. I, I've, I've been able to say I've done that one right. So, so I'm okay, right, Jimmy? Well, how about this one? Anger? Wrath? Malice? Slander? Oh, you don't have an anger problem either? Just a, 
You never said a word about another person that you wouldn't have said in front of them. Come on, anybody in here can say, in my entire life, I have never said a word about another person. Well, that would, that would cover the slander part there. How about the obscene talk from your mouth? The inappropriate jokes you wouldn't tell if the pastor were in the room? You know how many people get quiet when I walk near them? The, the four-letter words you don't use or you at least tell the pastor you're sorry for. I tell you, the number of stories when people discover that they're, 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 I'm standing beside them. They don't even know it or a pastor. I've been, they didn't know that I was a pastor. or just, just Hey, what are you doing? I'm a pastor. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry for all that I've been saying. I just laugh, actually. I just think it's funny. And obscene talk. And, and do not lie to one another. You got, even got to tell the truth. Oh, my gosh. I mean, come on. He's getting every one of us, Right? Like, like, we've got to change something. And then he goes and he throws in the most important statement in the whole thing. It's his thesis statement. And this is crazy because when I was in seventh grade, they told me the thesis statement goes up front. You tell everybody at first what you're going to say, and then you explain it later. And my English teacher seemed to think that was the way to get an A. But I'm going to go back and point out to her, he made the Bible and I didn't. So we're going to go with what he did. Here's his thesis statement. Seeing that you two have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator that's the whole point somehow in my opinion that should have come first today i'm going to talk to you about how to put off the old self and how to put on the new self that's in the image of its creator because that is the number one thing that is going to nurture a new heart and not tolerate the old stuff is when you get rid of the old self and you deal with the new self. It's got to be the new ways, the new you, instead of the old ways and the old you. This is where the change has got to come in. And I like how he says this kind of in third person, put off your old self. It's kind of weird, like, are you really telling us to do that? Yeah, because you know how sometimes we're not real good at keeping ourselves on track? I can't tell you the number of times when I am by myself, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to eat healthy today. I'm going to get a salad for lunch, going to get a salad for lunch, walk in the restaurant and go, ooh, I'm going to have a double cheeseburger with fries, please. You know, we can't keep ourselves on track. Sometimes you just kind of need to step outside yourself and go, self, you fool, stop it. And you need to look in the mirror and go, no, self, we're not going to do it that way. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. It's crazy, but sometimes if we can just see ourselves outside of ourselves and say, stop it. No, because that's going to kill our new heart. And we need our new heart to control our old ways. And then this next line seems a little out of place until you understand what's going on. He says, here, there is neither Greek nor Jew. There's circumcised nor uncircumcised. There's not barbarian or Scythian or slave or free. No, no, no. But Christ is in all and in all. Christ is all and is in all. And, and here's really the point that he's making. We need to start seeing people not by an earthly designation, but by a kingdom one. You see, what we need to start seeing are the people who are being renewed. They have a new self made in the image of their creator. There should only be two ways we see everybody. The people who are made in the image of Jesus and the people who need to be made in the image of Jesus. Those should be the only two distinguishing demarcations that we have. You see, and I love how he brings this in here when he's talking about put off the old self and put on the new self. Stop seeing people the way the world sees people. 
You know, we, we have a problem with racism. Hello? Anybody with me? And we think that racism is to blame because of slavery. Racism is not to blame because of slavery. It's way older than the United States. It's not an American problem. It's a human problem. It's a problem they had when this was being written. That's when he says, you're neither Greek nor Jew. Because the Jews were the people who were put down. They were the race that was ignored. The race that was supreme were the people who had Roman citizenship. You see, even back then, 2,000 years ago, the people who had certain citizenship thought they were better than people who didn't have that citizenship. And people whose skin color was different from the other people, they thought they were better. This is not a new problem. This is not an American problem. It is an old self, sick heart problem. And he says, stop it. You need a new heart. And you need to see people only in the image of their creator. There's none of this other division and any of this other pride and earthly superiority. Don't, don't look as earth, but set your minds above. And when you set your minds above, what you see is people made in the image of Christ and people who need to be made in the image of Christ. And that's all you'll ever see ever again. He goes on for the third one to say, forgive. Put on then as God's chosen, holy one, chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on what? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's a really good sentence to come right after the other one, by the way, isn't it? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is one of the hardest things as a Christian, but it's also one of the mind-blowing things for me is to watch Christians say, I just, man, I just don't, I know I should forgive, but I just can't. I know I need to forgive, but I, I just, man, you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There is no place for someone who has had their old heart replaced with a new heart because of the death of Jesus, right? No one in that position gets to say, thank you, God, that you forgave sin that separated us by this much, but I'm not going to forgive sin that separates me from that guy by this much. It's unbelievable that we do that. Look, I understand. And I've done messages on forgiveness. For those of you that need help with that, we can point you to them because we don't have the opportunity to go through all that today. I understand that forgiveness is incredibly difficult. The harder you've been hurt, the more you've been betrayed. I've been there. I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. I, I know what it's like. I know how difficult it is. I also understand that it's a process that sometimes you step out in faith and you begin to forgive and you hope that your heart catches up and you end up at the destination together. I understand that it's difficult and I understand it's a process, but it is not a choice. Are y'all with me? It is not a choice. And there is nothing that will kill a new heart faster than bitterness. There is nothing more toxic that's running around in the old self that's going to choke out and kill that new heart that God put in there more than unforgiveness. Because your new heart was born in forgiveness. Did you catch that? I mean, it is like the most antithetical thing that you could do is to take a heart born in forgiveness and put it in a body of unforgiveness. It's just not a choice. And the fourth thing that he tells us is love. And above all these, he'd make this one pretty important there, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And here's the, the thing. We don't have time to do a whole message today. We could do a whole message. We could actually do a whole series on love. What does love mean? Some of us don't really grasp this. Maybe your parents didn't say they loved you enough. And even if they said they loved you every day, then you just think it's, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling. And what he's talking about here has nothing to do with feelings. 
What he's talking about here is where the idea out of Scripture says, we love only because God first loved us. And there's a whole chapter, for those of you taking notes, it's 1 Corinthians 13. You can go and read it later. Everybody has heard it at a wedding. You think it was written in the Bible just for weddings. Had nothing to do with weddings, by the way. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. And it goes on and on and on. What it explains is not how you feel, but how you treat someone else because God first loved you. And we have this that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you and me. So what that means is now when you walk in the door and you've been praying, Susie will be absent on Monday because Susie's the most annoying employee at work, right? Now you have to love Susie. And what that means is you have to actually walk over to the desk. You know the one you've avoided? The one you've taken the long way around the office and down the hall. You've even gone down a floor <laughs> and across the office, the back up a floor to your office. That kind of thing to, get, to avoid Susie's desk. Now, because of love, you're going to go to Susie's desk and say, Hi, Susie, how can I help you today? Wait and see if that doesn't soften somebody else's heart because of love. Number five is let peace rule. Let peace rule and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called. See, anxiety and stress and worry kill a heart. Y'all know that, right? So if we keep with the analogy, the doctor's going to tell you, like, look, okay, we're going to give you this heart. And again, we're only doing this once, right? We've already said that. You know, we're not going to come in here every month and keep giving you a new heart. So you, some of you are going to have to quit your job because that job is killing your heart. There's too much stress. There's too much worry. There's too much anxiety. There's too much pressure. So I can give you a new heart, and I can give you life, but not if you maintain the old way. And there's, there's, there's no peace when we say, I don't think God's going to answer my prayer. I don't know if God's going to show up. I'm so worried if my kids play outside and I can't see them because I don't trust that there's a sovereign God. I'm so worried about my kids. I'm so worried about my finances. I don't know if God... Ah! Stressed hearts have short lifespans. And your spiritual heart will have a short lifespan if, it, if, it, if you just try to keep it going in that anxiety and that worry and not being able to trust you have a sovereign God. You have a sovereign God. You may not always like the way things are going, but the more that you let go of the stress, the worry, the anxiety, and figure out that God's got this, number six, be thankful. It's pretty short and simple to the point. But here's the point. It's hard to be critical when you're being thankful. It's hard to be complaining. It's hard to be the old you when you're thankful for the new you. You see, when, when you're thankful for what God is doing, it's hard to complain about how much your foot hurts with every step. God, I don't understand why you won't heal my foot. It hurts every step I take. It's hard to do that while you're saying, God, I thank you, I can at least walk. It, it, it is hard for you to complain about your spouse while you're saying, God, I thank you, I have a family. It is hard for you to complain about something else while you're pointing out what God has already done that is good. The more thankful we are, the more that it nurtures that heart. You see, a grateful heart is a healthy heart. And then his last one is this. Consume God's word. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's why we've agreed for this clean heart. We've come full circle back to part one where we talked about, let's put our hearts in front of God's word. There's a psalmist. One of the psalms says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The only chance we have of getting this, this new heart taken care of is that it is constantly bathed in God's word. That we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. 
That's why we do life groups. Because you're not going to get this on your own. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Man, some of us are going to make up songs and, and, and like get us a playlist of worship songs or something that's got the word of God going into us. And he finishes with this. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Don't miss this. Because this whole new heart thing, it's not just for you. I know we tend to think it is, but you do realize that goes back to the idolatry part he talked about earlier. Oh God, it's all about me. Thank you for the new heart. Thank you for taking me to heaven. Thank you were lonely without me. It's not just for you. It is for you. It's not just for you. See, there's actually a scripture in the Bible that says that you and I, we are a letter from Jesus, not written on tablets of stone, but actually written on human hearts. What that means is every time we go to work, every time we say hello to someone, everything we do, someone should look at our hearts. They should look at our thoughts and our wants and our desires and our feelings, and they should see Jesus. It's not just for us. It is for the rest of the world that when they look at our new hearts, they see him, and it changes something. I want to share a story with you. I just got an email a couple of weeks ago from a, a couple that used to go to church here, and their job moved them on in their military they said hey pastor jimmy just wanted to give you an update from our recent emails we'd been back and forth on a question they had said our friend james the new believer he seems to be doing well and has an insatiable appetite to learn about his newfound faith now he desires to get baptized it is so exciting it's been incredible to watch him accept christ and grow in his faith now here's the part you need to hear I just want to share this with you because Grace Life is where Ali and I grew into our faith and our lives were incredibly impacted there. And that, in turn, was seen by James. Y'all catch that? Our lives were changed and that was seen by James. And he's told me on several occasions that our marriage has been one of the reasons he sought out Jesus. Think about that. A young married couple can say that a deployed soldier in the Middle East is following Jesus because of how they treated each other. Because they got rid of the old heart. And they got rid of the old selfishness. And they got rid of the old self. And they put on the new self that they learned going through premarital counseling and marriage life groups and whatever else. And it so changed their heart that other people looking at them that are now halfway around the world are following Jesus because of their new heart. That's the goal. That is the goal. Above all else, guard your new heart. Because your old self is going to do everything it can to kill it. Are you hearing me? Our old way of life will do everything it can to destroy that foreign DNA. Our old thoughts and our old wants and our old feelings will do everything possible to make sure that new heart does not stick around very long it's a battle for dna you've got to put off the old self and put on the new self to make sure that the new heart rules the old way and dominates the old self above all else guard your new heart and i want to close by talking to those of you that well, we told you earlier you were off the hook for all that but now, 
I'm going to put you back on the hook. Because here's the truth. At any moment, you're willing to recognize how much God loves you, that he did love you so much that his son died for you. Whatever point you're willing to say, I understand that, and I want that, then he is ready to do that heart transplant. He's ready to take out the old heart and put in a new heart, a new heart that will last until heaven and for eternity. If you're someone who has maybe gone to church many times or maybe even just once, it doesn't really matter because it's not about how often you've been to church. But it's about that point of recognizing he died for you and now you want to live for him. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to stand up or do anything. I'm just going to help you begin a conversation. Would you all join me right where you're seated and just pray. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now... I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. I thank you that you've replaced my old heart. It was all focused on me and was sick with a new heart that is all about you. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.